0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Dennis bosa I'm the senior pastor here at Marymount Church. Today, we're looking at the Bible. Is it really a trustworthy book? How did we get the Bible? What about the critics who say that it's full of errors? How do I make sense of something so ancient? And you know, what about all those these and thous? Is that even understandable? And what about all these different versions. I mean, we got Bibles for couples, one-year Bible, every kind of Bible. Uh, But why is it the best-selling book in the world every single year? And if I was actually to crack it open, how would I read the Bible and make it applicable to my life? So that's what we're gonna look at today. Pray with me. God, just show us uh, now how you want to move uh, in our lives as it pertains to the Bible. Uh, God, let us, see your, let us see your heart in this. Let us see truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in this summer of chaos, many of us are rethinking our life's key assumptions. In this series called Rethink, we are asking the questions that matter. Our goal is to build our lives on a firm foundation in a world that feels like it's crumbling all around us. Now, if you're just joining in with us, check out the previous questions in this series that we've already looked at. What's the purpose of life? Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? These questions all pointed us to the great minds of wisdom and philosophy, and that ultimately led us to the most central book in human history, the Bible. So today's question flows logically from the first three. Is the Bible trustworthy? Now, let me start by defining the question a little bit more precisely. What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is actually not one book. It's it's a library of 66 books. It's been written over 1,500 years by 40 authors in three continents and these are people of every different kind of background you can imagine. So to pursue this general question, I want to ask three specific questions that are really going to help us to get to a satisfying answer. The first question is, how do I know the Bible hasn't been tampered with and that we have the intended text that we're supposed to have? That's talking about transmission issues over the centuries. The second question is, is the Bible's content reliable according to prophecy, wisdom, history, geology, etc.? There, we're going to talk about truth issues. Is the Bible telling you the truth? And then thirdly, we're going to ask the question, does the Bible lead us to know and experience God? In other words, are there signs of his fingerprints on the Bible? There we're gonna be talking about transformation issues. So, let's dive in, question number one, how do we know the Bible hasn't been tampered with and that we have the intended text? Now the Bible testifies that God spoke to individuals who became authors of Bible books with a variety of processes, some telling a narrative story, some writing poetry, some writing dialogue, pithy wisdom sayings, and others that are given prophetic visions with all kinds of crazy imagery and and apocalyptic uh, outcomes. So here, in this question, we're dealing with the transmission of the text over time. So from the the very beginning of the oral accounts to the first time it was written down on a scroll, copying scrolls over the century, printing press and all that that uh, entailed, translation into 3,500 languages, uh, all kinds of processes of how you look at a modern Bible today. We've learned over time about the fanatically accurate oral culture of the ancient Near East and the equally fanatical processes the Jewish scribes used to produce new copies of the Old Testament texts. Now, Today, the Bible is available online with a billion-plus downloads of Bible apps. So, if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, where it says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And we can know categorically that God keeps and preserves his word and gets it to us as he wants it done. Now, archaeological discoveries of ancient scrolls all around the Mediterranean Sea in the ancient world have proven the Bible to be one of the most accurately transmitted works of antiquity. So let me give you an example. On the shores of the Dead Sea in the first century B.C. was a thriving community of the Essenes. This is a sect of Judaism, and they lived centrally at a place called Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea, This place was eventually destroyed by the Romans in 72 AD, and it was left neglected for 19 centuries. In 1947, a shepherd boy discovered clay jars in a cave with scrolls inside, perfectly preserved in this dry desert climate. Eventually, by 1948, they found almost 1,000 scrolls in 12 different caves in this area. Now the picture you're looking at right now give you a sense, but we're talking about the severity of the Judean desert wilderness. The red circle shows you the previously sealed window that we can look into cave number four at Qumran. This turned out to be the main library, and the Essenes fanatically preserved God's word. Now in the next picture is a look inside cave number four, where they found 15,000 fragments of parchment from over 500 texts. In other words, in this little cave, 90% of all that we found on the Dead Sea, all the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in this library cave. The Essenes had hidden these texts knowing the Roman threat, and so the Romans did not see this library, they did not see these scrolls, they destroyed everything else. And so the findings at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they sent shockwaves through the archaeological world. First of all, portions of all but one of the Old Testament books were found. Scrolls of Isaiah were found intact. The entire scroll dated to 125 to 150 BC by very reliable carbon-14 dating method. The oldest Isaiah scroll that existed on the earth until that time was one that was dated around 900 A.D. So in other words, these scrolls were over a thousand years older than the oldest scroll that we had. And here's the amazing thing. The textual detail match between the 900 A.D. scroll and the 150 B.C. scroll was 99.5% proving categorically that the book of Isaiah that we have in our Bibles has been faithfully preserved. Ditto with the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, what's interesting is this Dead Sea Scroll's finding, also, this scroll of Isaiah, predates all the prophecies in Isaiah two centuries before his death, making it impossible for the Christians to make up and manipulate the story. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, we read, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. In other words, the prophecy of Jesus dying, we talked about this last week, sacrificially for us, and by knowing Jesus, we have eternal life, we are justified and that he bears our sins. He makes atonement. So, that's the Old Testament. As for the New Testament, the evidence is even stronger with 24,000 manuscripts dated within 25 years of the events. This supports the fact that we are reading in the New Testament eyewitness accounts written by those eyewitnesses before they died. Now, this chart that I'm showing you has got a lot of detail on it, but it shows you that most of the famous works of antiquity, works like Homer's Iliad, that that are virtually unchallenged in terms of their authenticity, have fewer than 20 copies, and the closest to the New Testament is Homer's Iliad, and we have 683 copies of that. But the earliest manuscripts on these works are 500 to 1,000 years after the fact. The history, for example, of Alexander the Great that we take as fact was actually written for the first time 400 years after he lived. No eyewitness accounts. So bottom line, the Bible has been faithfully transmitted from the earliest days to today. Now I don't have time today to talk about translations, but in Nigeria we have witnessed the care and detail and triple-checking that goes into a translation, we can confidently say that the words of God that were given to the authors of the Bible, and especially the words of Jesus, have been preserved just as Jesus said they would be. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And that is still true to this day. So that's that's our first question. Let's move on to question two now and look at truth issues. And the question again is, is the Bible's content reliable according to prophecy, wisdom, history, geology, etc.? And here again, we're dealing about truth issues and, and truth is truth. And so science and scripture, when interpreted properly, when done properly, will agree. For example... In 1616, the idea of a sun-centered rather than earth-centered cosmology was declared heretical by the church. Galileo was excommunicated and placed under house arrest. The problem was not with science. The problem was with a faulty interpretation of the scriptures about the sun revolving around the earth in the book of Psalms. As science has progressed... For example, now we have unanimous agreement that the universe had a beginning. This was a major discovery in about 1992, meaning it had to have a causing agent. And also, the order of the creation in Genesis is unique, and it's the only origin account that we have in the earth right now, and there are several that we have, that agrees with known science. Now. It is widely agreed, for example, that the Colorado River did not carve out the Grand Canyon over millions and millions of years. How do we know this? Well, despite the best efforts of geologists, there are no known deposits in the Gulf of California where the Colorado River empties, unlike the Mississippi River in the Gulf of Mexico, which has a huge amount of material being pumped into the Gulf of Mexico all the time. The Grand Canyon is an incredible testimony to the global flood described in Genesis 6 to 9. The colored layers that you see there are evidence of rapid water-driven deposits, one on top of the other. And here's the killer. These very same layers are found in the same order all over North America and in many other places around the world. Now, Let's move along to Genesis 11, where the Bible says that God confused the languages of the humans that were building the Tower of Babel. And from there, it says that God scattered them all over the earth. This explains the migrations of people all over and provides the basis for the long histories of the indigenous people who occupied every continent. Now, let's look, for example, at the Chinese language. It bears crystal-clear marks of the story of God from Genesis 1 to 11. Going from left to right, you see I've given you some words in in Chinese characters. And let's uh, go from left to right. So starting with the word boat, it's a combination of the characters for vessel and for eight and for people, the number of humans exactly on the ark. The word covet, is made up of the characters for two trees and a woman. The word create includes the characters for speaking, dust, mud, life, and walk. God made Adam out of the earth, breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living creature. The word forbid is made up for the characters for the two trees and God. It's amazing, but there is no doubt the language of China was influenced by the story of God as told in Genesis 1-11 before the people were dispersed all over the earth. Now, the more we know about Chinese history, the clearer it is that the God of Genesis 1-11 was worshipped in that land long, long, long time ago. Now, as the discipline of literary criticism blossomed in the last few centuries, the Bible has been accused of inaccuracies hundreds of times. Every time so far, the Bible is proven true. For example, take the Assyrian king Sargon. In Isaiah 20, verse 1, we read this. In the year that the supreme commander, sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked it and captured it, at that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. So, this, this happens literally, this king literally comes into the land of Israel. Now, there had been no evidence of a king Sargon in all the known lists of the Assyrian kings until 1843. Then, archaeologist archeolo- Paul Bota began his excavations in Iraq. Sure enough, he found proof that King Sargon ruled when the Bible said he ruled and he uncovered the capital city of King Sargon. In this uh, next picture you can see the ruins of this city near the modern day of Khorsabad in Iraq. Now I could go on to talk about the record of the Bible's prophecies. You know there are about 750 prophecies in the Bible and 600 have already proven true there are dozens of prophecies being fulfilled right now in Israel all since 1948 with the likely rebirth of the state of Israel many Jews around the world almost half of the world's Jews have returned to Israel in the last 30 or 40 years which is exactly what God said he would do he would bring them back into the land and the last 125 or so prophecies are all related to the return of Jesus, but so far the, bat, the Bible is batting 800. It's batting 800 and zero unfulfilled prophecies that should have happened by now. So since the Jews returning to Israel, archaeology has been like a national priority to establish their claims to the land. It's, it's amazing what has been found, hard evidence as far back as King David, the prophet Isaiah, uh, palace administrators. They even found a 4,000 year old Canaanite gate which is mentioned in Genesis 14 when Abraham chases the, captor, the captors of Lot all the way to Dan. So one of Jesus's prophecies was about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, it says this, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, until Israel won the Six-Day War in 1967, Jerusalem was forbidden to Jews, and the Temple Mount's Western Wall were mainly covered by centuries of debris. I'm showing you a picture now of the southwest corner of the temple walls and it shows dirt all the way up to Robinson's arch which is sticking out of the wall behind that tree on the right. After years of excavation, 60 feet of dirt below Robinson's arch has been removed. You can see the arch now in the top right corner of the picture. And we can now clearly see the work of the Romans in AD 70, we can see literally The piles of huge stones as they were thrown down just as Jesus said they were and they have crushed that road that Jesus walked on while he was probably answering that question during his earthly ministry exactly as the Bible records. Now I can speak about the inherent wisdom of the Bible and its self-evident quality. The book of Proverbs for example forbids the people of God from co-signing loans most who have ever done this can attest to being burned and they never do it again. Several times in the New Testament, we read about people in weird titles that have been disputed by historians, but they've eventually been found to be accurate. For example, two examples uh, are Lysanias, the Tetrarch, who is mentioned in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, and Publius, the leading man, found in Acts 28.7. That was thought to be a phony title, but both titles and the names were confirmed by archaeological inscriptions. So with all the critical examination that the Bible has undergone, there is no significant fact of history or science that has stood the test of time against the Bible's accuracy. It's simply what it purports to be, the truth of God useful for all of life. With that, let's move on to question number three. Does the Bible lead us to know and experience God? Are there signs of his fingerprints? Now, aside from its authoritative and weighty feel, its gravitas, the Bible's modern translation with study notes are easy to understand with careful reading, and yet the Bible always gives a sense of the eternal that is beyond us, that it's given from above. Like when David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. You, you look at a sunset and you just know what he was talking about. It's otherworldly. Now, many have commented that it is revelatory of human nature and of God's nature in a way that makes them feel the Bible is somehow reading them. A story is told about New York gang member turned street evangelist by the name of Nikki Cruz. He was approached on the street by a man who asked for his New Testament so he could roll joints of marijuana. Cruz agreed, but stipulated that the guy had to read each page before smoking it. Months later, Cruz saw the man, and he was active in ministry. And he asked him, hey man, how's it going? And the guy says, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, I smoked Luke, and then John smoked me. The Bible had read his soul and brought him to Christ. He's now an evangelist, and again, divine fingerprints are all over his book and his life. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is challenging, helpful, comforting. And there's a sense that we are with a loving, intelligent, warm being. The Bible meets and exceeds the highest standards of literature. It reflects the loftiest virtues. This makes sense of the fact that it is the perennial bestseller of all time and of every year on record. They don't even put it on the list anymore. More divine fingerprints. The great theologian Augustine was wrestling with the Bible and the questions of its reliability, secretly knowing that his main hang-up was giving up the lifestyle of sexual promiscuity he he was so thoroughly enjoying. One day in his garden, he heard a child on the other side of the fence say, take and read. He knew it meant the Bible, and he he went back to where he had been reading, and he was at Romans 13, 13, which says this, let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery and dissension and jealousy. The Bible says that every word in it is God-breathed and that day God breathed on Augustine who turned from the sin that that verse pinpointed in his life and became one of the most influential leaders in the church's history. Divine fingerprints. 20 years ago I was reading this passage in uh, Second Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. As I read that passage, it was as if the page... Sizzled with the presence of God. And I had absolute certainty that Jesus was speaking these words through Paul directly to my heart. I began getting prepared, and three years later, I was called to pastor this church. That's 16 years ago now. The Bible is transforming people all over the world because it is living and active, full of the power of God. That's right, divine fingerprints. The Bible contains the very words of the eternal God. And so, let's talk application. How do I access the Bible? Well, first of all, let me just suggest that wherever you are, uh, start start with the Gospel of Mark and select these short Jesus stories to study just, just a few verses at a time and ask three questions. Number one, what does it say? And by the way, Spend most of your time here. Read it, reread it, ask God to show you what it means. Then, second question what does it mean? You're here now, you're interpreting the text and you're answering the question what is God doing with this word in my life right now? And then finally, what will I do to obey? Question three what will I do to obey? There's no point reading it, there's no point even starting without a commitment to obeying what God shows you. Now, if you want more on this, I encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, to watch Liz Baker's video from May 6th. It's on our YouTube channel. It's about 20 minutes, and it will give you a wonderful introduction, and even if you've been studying the Bible a while, a wonderful challenge to how to look and study at the Bible. All right, so before you start doing any of this, you've got to pray. And what I would suggest you pray is the word of God to the Father, using the insights of Jeremiah, a man who really heard from God. And in his book, he has three verses that just sing with how God wants to speak with us. You got uh, chapter 23, it's, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces? chapter 29 it says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart that's what I mean by like wanting to obey and then in chapter 33 it says call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know so let's pray and this is kind of how it might look in your life and as I said even if you've been at this a long time I just encourage you to think of a prayer like this even Today, when you read the Bible, Abba Father, I don't know what you might do as I read the Bible, but I'd like you to set my heart on fire with truth and revelation, and I'd like to break the rocks in my life, stubbornness, selfishness, doubt, just to name a few. Lord, I'm going to read your word with the desire to truly know you. Help me seek you with all my heart. And Lord, I'm not sure of this, but I know I don't know all of the things I need to know. I am reading your word because I want to know the great and unsearchable things that only you can tell me. Amen. And expect God to move because the Bible has not been tampered with. The Bible has been transmitted faithfully. The Bible speaks truth and the Bible transforms. So expect God to move in this week. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to share a few announcements, and then we're going to conclude our service with Anna and her team leading us in worship as we respond to God's awesome word. We'll see you next week.